guys. This is why you have bulletins with, you know, um, our mission statement on it. This is why you have a bulletin with our action statement on it. Because the reality is, is I understand that as we grow, people are going to be pulled in 25 different directions. And if we are not focused and of the same mind, in the same spirit, on the same purpose, we'll pull ourselves apart. We will become a church just like so many that are disunified. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of 1 Peter. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, we have been preaching through a series on the book of 1 Peter, and what an uh, exciting time it is as we continue to work through that. We have uh, come to chapter 3. And, uh, and today I've entitled our message, Living with Unity uh, with the Body of Christ. What an important topic. Um, because we have been learning about uh, Peter's response to Christian relationships, he started talking about that and how we should deal with bad government and how we are to submit unto the government which God has put into place. And then he transformed for governments to the workplace. And we entitled that how to deal with difficult people, dealing with difficult bosses, and how we are called to, as Christians, respond in submission to those in which God has placed in authority over us. And now you may be wondering, what happened to chapter 3, verses 1 to verse 7? Well, my encouragement to you is that if you were uh, just fairly new, I preached this seven verses back six months ago. And I didn't really feel appropriate to take two more weeks to go over something that I've already preached. But praise God, we live in a culture where we have media. And so I want to encourage you to jump online. And you'll see there on the, on the PowerPoint, this is what it's called. It's called the Tug of War of Marriage. And it's a two-part series that deals first with the women and second with the men, husbands and wives. And how are they called to submit to um, one another, to the Lord. Um, and so I encourage you, if you want a copy of that message, maybe you don't have access to the Internet, and you want a DVD, we would, we would be glad to make those DVDs up for you for just a small fee just to cover the technological aspect of it. But you can access it right there online on our website, familybiblefellowship.org. Click there as part one, and part two is right after it. And so... I encourage you to get on. It is a very difficult sermon to preach. And the reason I'm not preaching it again is because if I was going to preach it again, I would preach it the exact same way. Because when you start talking about submitting to husbands, um, that doesn't fit in our culture. And so you, you have to be very clear on God's directives, God's instructions about why he calls women to submit unto their husbands. And so it's an encouragement. Maybe you have an unbelieving husband. Maybe you have a a difficult husband to live with. Ladies, this would be a great encouragement for you to dig into that text, and I'll do that right there. And men, you're not off the hook. There's a great call for you in part two. Um, We preach an entire message on one verse to the men. And uh, and so my encouragement is to plug in online and get those, and so you can watch the tug-of-war of marriage, which will go over as Peter calls us to submit unto the family, submission within the family. And so, uh, just let me know if you need a DVD and we'll get you one. 
This week, though, we're going to finish up the section of Scripture in which Peter's response to the Christian relationships exist. If you see there in the outline, he deals with the governments, he deals with the relation within the workplace, within the family, and this week we see Peter's exhortation to Christians' relationship in the church. That would be us. And so with that said, let's get on our text this morning. If you would, turn with me to chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 to 12. He reads it this way, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, uh, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing for the one who desires life to love And to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There are two things that I really want us to grasp from the text this morning, two simple truths that will help us make sure that as we continue to grow as the body of Christ, that we will continue to be unified as a body of believers. And so first, I want us to see we must have the right attitude. Verses 8 and 9 will teach us that, that we must have the right attitude. If we're going to be unified as a body of believers, it begins with having a right attitude. Secondly, we must have a right response. We must have the right response. If we're going to be unified as we continue to grow, then we must respond well. And so those are the two things that we will look at. Here we have Peter writing again to a difficult Uh, circumstance in which these people find themselves under such a horrific leader such as Nero. These Christians are being persecuted for their faith. A matter of fact, Nero's dipping them in oil, lighting them on fire to light up Rome. And yet, these people that are being harshly treated for their faith in Jesus Christ, Peter continues to exhort these folks even though they're having a difficult time, by calling them to unity. So it's possible that in the midst of difficult times, we can have unity. And I want you to know that as this little church begins to expand and begins to grow, it will become bigger than what we see now. And the more people you get, the more sin you get. And the more sin you get, the more disunity you get. And so these are vital words for us today as a church as we grow And he is addressing, first off, those that have bad government, then those in the workplace, and then in the family. But here he makes a shift. This time he addresses the entire group. Not those just dealing with government, family, relationships in the workplace, but the entire household of faith. And Peter is calling these folks, just like us, to live a life of joy in unity, in light of their difficult circumstances. And so how is it that we, in our relationships with one another, in this church, within the universal body of Christ, how is it that we can live joyfully together in unity? Peter goes on to give us some insight on how that can be 
as we become more unified within this church and how we are to deal with each other as we encounter daily life. And so Peter wants us to understand that first we must have the right attitude. He gives us six attitudes, attributes, lifestyles that we as Christians are to have. Now maybe there are some on this list as we go through, you say, I got that down. And I got that down. One, two, three, four, I got down. But maybe five and six, you don't. But that's okay. The purpose in this is so that we can go over them and you can evaluate where God has you. You know, there's mature believers in this church and there are immature believers in this church. Not every person who comes to Christ immediately is theologically sound. Right? You remember how messy you were when you first became a Christian. Well, that's the reality of a church, of a body of Christ. We have those that are pillars of the faith, that have been of of the faith for many years. We have some that are learning and, and doing well and preparing for other Christians the Word of God. And then you have some that are being discipled and they're just memorizing Scripture for the first time. And then you have those that have freshly come to faith in Christ. And they're like a baby. They don't even know how to feed themselves. They don't know how to change themselves. And that's okay. The purpose of this is not to discourage you, but rather encourage you of where you are in your walk. Because the reality is, all of these are Christ-like attitudes. Don't be discouraged, because by looking at these, we can pray that God would make us more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Because all of these are great attributes of the Christian faith. If we want to have a joy-filled life in unity, then we must have the right attitudes. You may be closer to that image of others. But listen, the, really, the reality is you have to ask yourself, how am I doing today? I'm not your judge. There's but one judge, the righteous judge. And if you will simply evaluate yourself truthfully, which is what we ought to do, then we can begin to grow. God can begin to work us and to mold us and allow us by the Spirit of God to change our hearts. He says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Verses 8 and 9 really deal with being a blessing and giving a blessing to others. And he starts out with to sum up, or you could say finally, which is what the ESV says. It's like he's saying, now I will finish what I have to say by this. Number one, be harmonious. This is, simply means to be of the same mind with one another. Do you know how difficult that is? I mean, just, just think about it, Christians. I mean, we believe in the foundations of the faith, right? We, we should believe in those things that are... That are that are very vital to our walk with the Christ. But why is it so difficult for Christians to be unified, to be of the same mind? You ask four Christians their definition of evangelism, you'll get four different answers. You ask Christians for their definition of of discipleship, and you'll have one that says, well, one-on-one discipleship's not biblical, and you'll have another one that says, oh, who are you? One-on-one discipleship's the only way to go. Why is there so much disunity? Why is it hard to be of the same mind? Well, he says be harmonious. The Greek word used here 
is illustrated again in Romans chapter 15, verse 5. It captures the same Greek word when it says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, being of the same mind. Philippians 2.2 2 uses the same Greek word as well when it says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You know, this is a reality, guys. This is why you have bulletins with, you know, um, our mission statement on it. This is why you have a bulletin with our action statement on it. Because the reality is, as I understand, that as we grow... People are going to be pulled in 25 different directions. And if we are not focused and of the same mind, in the same spirit, on the same purpose, and we will pull ourselves apart. And we will become a church just like so many that are disunified, fighting over great things for the kingdom of God. Listen, the reality is, is we are called to be of the same mind. Not just our little church sitting down here in Early Branch, but the universal body of Christ. And while we can't change the universal body of Christ, the universal unity, we can work and make sure that we, as this congregation, this body of believers, are living out unity within the body of Christ. And again, that's why we have our mission statement, to know Christ and to make Christ known. And that's why we have action statements like we are going to engage deeply, reach widely, and lead well. Those are how we accomplish those things. All of these are to help us as a church keep focused on the main purpose. And the main purpose purpose ultimately lies with God's call on the life of the church. To go therefore to make disciples of all nations. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing in going. How are you doing in going? Listen, when it says go, that doesn't mean you got to pack your bags and go to Africa. Venezuela, to the unreached people groups, God may give you the, the desire of your heart to do that. But listen, if it doesn't start right here in early Brent, South Carolina, then we've missed it. Because we can go all around the world while everybody around us in this community dies and goes to hell. And what good have we done? It starts right here, folks. And we've created opportunities for you to be involved and to reach out into the community. And yesterday we had such a great event. We had people coming in that we had never met before and we were able to show the love of Christ to them. And many of them I was able to pray with and tell them about the love of Christ. What a blessing and an opportunity. I want to encourage you, don't miss those opportunities. Now I'm not getting on to you if you weren't there. I know we live busy lives and I get it. But the question you have to ask yourself is, how am I doing with going? How am I doing personally? And so we can't change the universal unity, but we can start here. The church in the beginning of Acts were called to be of the same mind. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about all of us agreeing. We need to be of the same mind. And when it comes to the apostle doctrine in our Bible... We need to be of the same mind. Now, don't mistake me. I'm not talking about being unified with unbelievers. But with the body of Christ, 
we don't partnership with those of, that are not of the faith because we're not of the same mind. There's no way we can be of the same mind. We're not of the same ministry. While these people and some of these cults are great people, they will persuade you to think you believe the same thing they believe. Why not go into partnership with them? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Unity within the body of Christ, believers. And this unity is possible only through a partnership with Jesus Christ. Now, I know there are some things that we can agree to disagree on as Christians, right? I mean, we don't have to agree on everything. But there are some things that we better agree on as biblical support, not just good opinions. There are some that are non-negotiable, and but there are things that we hold to as a church. And so I've listed seven things that we as a church believe are our core doctrine. And you know, we're going to have a membership class coming up soon that will walk every single person in this church through what we believe as a church. So that we're not just having people come forward during the, join the churches because they prayed a prayer or got baptized. We want them to know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And so I've listed seven. The seven core values of Family Bible Fellowship. These are seven core values that you must believe in order to be a member of Family Bible Fellowship. Now, we have a doctrinal statement that goes far beyond that. But we are not asking people that they have to buy into everything we believe specifically and perfectly. But these seven we do. It says we believe that the Bible is verbally inspired word of God and without mistakes in the original writings. It is complete in its revelation of His will for salvation and the only unfailing rule of faith and practice for the Christian life. We believe in one God, creator of all things, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these are three co-equal, equal in dignity and in power. We believe in the deity of Christ, his miraculous conception by the, the Holy Spirit and the virgin birth, His substitutionary death on the cross, His bodily resurrection, His ascension up to the right hand of the Father, and His personal intimate return as we sing about this morning. Oh, glorious day. He's coming back again. We believe that man was created by and for God, that man by man's disobeying God, every person earns spiritual death which is the separation from God and physical death as a consequence and that all people are sinners by nature and by practice. We believe the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins and that all who believe in Him are declared righteous because of that, because of His sacrificial death and are therefore in the right relationship with God, which we talked about that too. Uh, we are justified we believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit and dwelling all believers and thus enabling and empowering the life and ministry of the believer. And then lastly, number seven, we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we believe in the bodily resurrection of everyone who has ever lived, the everlasting blessedness of those in right relationship with God and the everlasting punishment of those who reject God's grace and mercy in His Son, Jesus Christ. We must agree, be of the same mind on these areas because this list of qualities bring about good and a joyful life. This world will offer you temporary happiness, but I am not here to make you happy. Happiness is cheap. Look at Solomon. He had happiness. He had everything he could ever want. Money, 
women, nice houses. They didn't have cars, but maybe had a nice horse. Everything you can think of, this man was living large. But Ecclesiastes 2.17 says, I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futile in striving after the wind. Here Solomon hated life. But look at his dad, David, running for his life, being sought after, killed. He finds joy in God. He says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We must be of the same mind. But we need not only be of the same mind, but we need to be sympathetic. Romans 12, 5 says, give us a, a, a great definition. Here it is, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That's a great definition for sympatheticness, having sympathy for one another. We need to have feelings for one another. I mean, wouldn't you agree we live in a culture that doesn't show much sympathy to those in pain because we see people misuse it all the time. We see people take advantage of the church. We see them just use the church for their resources. Listen, we're called to be sympathetic. God is in control of what happens and how they respond to what blessing they've been giving. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, And if one member suffers, then all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. We need to feel sympathetic for what happens to one another within the body of Christ. Because if I am going to get outside and slam my finger in the door, guess what? My entire body hurts. I can't do anything or think about anything other than that. Well, do you realize and understand, if you look around this room, behind the pretty ties and the dresses and all of the great facade we put on when we come Sunday morning, there's hurt and there's pain. And there's difficulty. And there's hard decisions that have to be made. Are we sympathetic to those needs? Are we sympathetic to one another's needs? We can trust that Christ will give us more sympathy for each other if we'll trust in Him. When something doesn't go the way we want it to go, keep in mind sympathy. Let me tell you what. This is my struggle. You want to pray for your pastor? Sympathy is not my spiritual gift. Okay? We're not perfect. We come with struggles. And sympathy is one that we can all work on. Some are great at it. My wife, boy, she's a, she is a great, sympathetic woman who just loves... I'm like, suck it up, buttercup. It's is my personality. Why God allows this thorn in my flesh... And I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Because we're all striving to glorify God, aren't we? So maybe if you see me out in life, in daily life, and you know, I'm not very sympathetic, show me grace. Remember, this is all about unity, is learning to work together with one another in our shortcomings. Because I'm certain some of you in here aren't very sympathetic either. But that's okay. God can work on us. We're like a work in progress. But if we're going to do it biblically, we have to show sympatheticness to one another. Sympatheticness, that's not a word. I just created it. I do that often. If you stay here long enough, you'll notice I just create words. So just kind of roll with it. When someone's hurting, we, they're having family issues maybe. Maybe their marriage is falling apart. Maybe they have children issues. Whatever the issue 
we have to make sure that we are caring for one another, that we pray for that person. And let us be there for them in their time of need. And so we need to make sure that we are sympathetic and no longer be cold to the needs of those around us. And so we're called to have feelings for one another, but he also says be brotherly. Peter here brings us back to the teaching that he's already given us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says, if you recall, we talked about this, this, this idea of having a purified heart or a changed soul that would result in love for the brethren. And Peter's calling you and I to love within the human relationship that he has entrusted to us and especially to those in the community of faith, us, those that have trusted in Jesus Christ, those that are members of Family Bible Fellowship because this all helps us have unity. begins with an attitude. And so he's calling us to love. But not only is he calling us to be brother, he's calling us to be kind-hearted. You must be deeply concerned for others. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. God was kind-hearted and concerned for each one of us. I like the King James Version says here, Be pitiful. Show pity. Isn't that what God did for you and for me? Didn't He show us pity? Because without God coming into our lives and moving us into a way that would draw us to himself, showing us pity because yet we have sinned and yet I'm the greatest sinner of all, Christ shows us grace. And how much more should we show grace and be kind-hearted to those around us? It's easy to bite off the heads of those in which we live around that make mistakes in that sin. You know, my son came up to me yesterday and I said, son, you got something on your face. You know, he's eating a hot dog. He said, dad, you got some too. I couldn't see it. I could see his. You see, it's a whole lot easier for me to see your mess than to see my own mess. We have to be kind hearted because whether we want to admit it or not, we all got some really good issues going on in our lives. And if we have kind-heartedness to one another, we'll be more gracious. One of my seminary professors made the statement, um, we, we, we want to take God very seriously, but not each other so much so. Because we're all going to make mistakes. We're called to be kind-hearted. And also we're called here, number five, to be humble in spirit. He says to sum up, All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Another way that we can enjoy the goodness of the Christian walk and to have joy in our life is to be humble. To be humble. Philippians 2.3 is a great picture of that kind of lifestyle. When he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. You see, this is a passage that I have to have memorized because I don't want to become prideful. Now, do I open the door to to y'all's reality of seeing my sin and knowing my sin and my struggles? Yes, but that's okay because I want y'all to understand and y'all watching in the back and y'all watching that I struggle with life just like you. Even though I stand here and preach the Word, I have to deal with the text in my own life, in my own struggles. And that, I believe, is humility. Humility. 
I don't tell you everything. But I want you to understand, I see my own sin, my own problems, my own issues. And we all have them. We're called to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. And let me tell you how that works. But deep down inside, you do it anyway because you know it's right. And God will begin to give you a joyful heart to do those things rather with grumbling and complaining. I wonder how much I do for the glory of God in vain because of my spirit. Many times do we do things for God and we hate every minute of it. But we do it because we know it's what we are to do. It is, begins with an attitude. And what an example, the attitude of Christ. He is the picture we want to see when we look at ourselves in the mirror. And that's what Bill said before he got up here. You want to be able to share the gospel? Live out these attitudes. Now, we know that the the salvation comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And that the gospel is what saves people. But our lives many times either allow us to end to people's lives, to share the hope of Christ, or to repel. And if you're not humble, and you're prideful, and you're not kind-hearted, and you're not brotherly, and you're not all of these attributes, these attitudes, then many times we will repel people and the gospel will never go forth because of us and our actions. Now, I just happen to believe in the sovereignty of God and that he can use anybody to reach people for Christ. And so don't come discouraged. My, my intention is never to discourage you. Discourage you. But here we're lastly called to be forgivers. with the most difficult one. We need not only have right attitudes, right qualities that I hope result in right behavior. But we need proper response when we're wronged to be forgivers. Let me ask you this morning, how are you doing with forgiveness? Christ forgave us. How much more are we called to forgive those that offend us? If we're going to live in unity, then we have to be professionals at forgiveness. Because we're going to offend each other. I'm offended at the AC right now. It's hot up in here. We have to forgive one another. But not only must we have the right attitudes, I want us to see, secondly, we must have the right responses. It's just a matter of time. Sometimes, someplace you will be wrong, and how you respond will be a great comparison to see if you are a forgiver or a grudge holder. There's people that live right on this road that hold grudges so bad they won't come to church because of something that happened 40 years ago. Wow. Grudge holders will prevent you from entering the kingdom of God. We have to learn to be forgivers. He says here, verse 9, that we must respond well. He says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. We're not to fire back. You know, this is the learning process for us as believers because we, are, we, we live in this flesh. 
And if we're not careful, the flesh will jump right up back at us. Somebody pops off at the mouth. The first thing we want to do, the nature, the natural flesh is to pop back. And if we're not careful, we'll pop back if the Lord's not in control. Romans twelve seventeen gives us a great understanding of why we do not pay, repay evil for evil. And he says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, as much as it, as so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heat burning coals up on their head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. How we respond will deal greatly in how well unified we are as the body of Christ. Because I can promise you, somebody's going to offend you. It's just going to happen. They're not going to do the hamburger right. They're not going to do the hot dog right. They're not going to put the stuff in the right place at the right time. Somebody's going to forget to put the cap on the butter in the refrigerator. Now you laugh, but I'm telling you, I've seen it in churches. People lose their minds over these things. They don't like the lights. They don't like the color. They don't like the slides. And they, we're going to offend somebody. And if we don't have the ability to respond well, we will be disunified. And we have to sometimes remind each other, it's a time to show grace, brother or sister. Because the reality is, is we do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And that is extremely hard. But when we realize that we are not the righteous judge and that God is taking care of us, we can trust in God to allow him to handle our situations and to take care of the evil done. Because if we will be honest with one another, we're all a little messy. And it's a whole lot easier again to see your sin than it is to see mine. But we're called to be a blessing giver. For this very purpose, it says that you were designed to inherit a blessing. Listen, I want to bless you. I can't bless everybody at the same time. I mean, I'm one guy, right? But I want you to know it's my heart to bless you. It's my heart to bless you with a sermon that is poured over, prayed over, and worked over. It is my desire to bless you with PowerPoints that are spelt correctly, that look nice. It's my desire to make sure to bless you that the heater is not on. It is my desire to bless you that you have access to the gospel message on the internet. It is my desire to bless you to know that I love you, that I care for you, that I pray for you, that I want your kids to all come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. My desire is to bless you. And your desire should be to bless one another. Because God has truly blessed us. And however God's designed you to bless, bless, bless them. Maybe God's given you plenty of money. Bless the brother with the money. 
Maybe God's given you a gift. I think about this church and I look back here and I go, all this plumbing that was done for free of charge, all of the work that's been done sometimes for free, all of these TVs that are hanging are a blessing to you by somebody else. How are you blessing the body of Christ? Because you were created to receive a blessing. And we have to ask ourselves, are we blessing others? Or are we so self-focused that we can only worry about us? And when we worry simply about us, then we lose and we become disunified. Because the world does not revolve around Stuart Guthrie. But it revolves around the body of Christ. Because Christ paid for the body of Christ with the, the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. We have to learn how to forgive. We have to learn how to love. And we have to learn that we must respond well when we're wronged. You see, we must have the right response. He says here in verse 10, he says, for the one who desires life, that'd be me. Uh, the one who desires to love, that'd be me. To, to see good day, that'd be me. It must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If we desire a good life, a unified life, then we must respond well. And if you've been bad talking to somebody behind their backs as a believer, then I want you to understand you're most likely not having the greatest life right now. Maybe you're encountering difficulties because of the way that you respond. God wants you to know that you can receive forgiveness for all of that mess. That's what Jesus Christ paid for on the cross is your sin. In 1 John 1, 9, we all know it. I hope you know it. I hope you memorize it. Says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God didn't call you to be perfect. He sent one that was perfect. But he does call you. He does call you to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you relied on the Lord Jesus Christ today? By asking for forgiveness when you speak evil, deceit. If you desire good days and life and love, you must keep his or her lips from speaking deceit. And in verse 11 it says he must turn away from evil and do good. That's repentance. That's turning completely around. He must seek peace and pursue it. We're called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. This is what we must do. Turn away from evil. Speak peace and pursue it. Respond well. I was thinking about that word pursue. That's an important word. If you pursue a dream, what does it take? Well, it's hard work. It takes concentration. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. Listen, he says here in the last verse, this is why we are to pursue. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You think about these people being persecuted for their faith, being killed as Christians. It's a little warm in here, but these people are being killed for their faith. We go over to India, they, 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 they meet in, in, in houses in the dark 
in the basements because they're being persecuted for their faith. And it's this hot. The eyes of the Lord are to the righteous. His ears attend to the prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. These people were under great distress. These are great words of encouragement for those that are in Christ that are going through these circumstances. Those that are living under leadership such as Nero. Listen, the governments may treat you poorly. You may have a bad boss. You may have a bum husband or a bum wife. It's not honoring God. And I say bum, not like lazy, but I mean like just not being a good wife or a good husband. And if we want to be honest, they exist. And they exist sometimes in the body of Christ. Sometimes I'm a bum husband. Because I advocate my responsibility to lead well. But the reality is, is you have a choice to respond well in those circumstances. For his eyes are upon the righteous. And not only should they be encouraged by this, we should be encouraged by this. And we should be encouraged to live these things out through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way we can accomplish them, brothers and sisters. It's the only way. And if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can't expect to do these things, to live this way. And you must, if you're going to be harmonious and if you're going to live lives that honor God and you're going to be unified, you must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. How will you handle it this week when you're wronged? It begins with an attitude. It begins with that attitude and ends in how we respond. We can be completely unified as the church. But it will take work, it will take sacrifice, and it will take reliance upon God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives to accomplish it. Listen, this morning I want you to know we must have the right attitude. And we must respond well. Let's pray. We would like to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of 1 Peter. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Ridgeville, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. And to find out more information about the ministry of Pastor Stuart Guthrie, check him out on the web at gettingintheword.com. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.